From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Monday, November 7th. One night in late October, you could find Daylene Redhorse at a local Moab bar slash restaurant. As a traveling country western band played covers in the corner, Redhorse went to work at a pop-up table full of voter information. We're getting a lot of response. We're getting a lot of um, people just coming out to participate, which, you know, it, it really does make you happy. Red Horse is a field organizer with the Rural Utah Project, which works quite a bit in voter registration at the southern end of the state. She's used to meeting people where they are, not only at get-out-the-vote events at local watering holes. Over the years, she's also traveled about by foot, knocking on doors to make sure historically disenfranchised voters get the opportunity to cast a ballot. A lot of Red Horse's work in voter registration is in San Juan County. Back in 2018, she helped register hundreds of voters there, many on the Utah side of the Navajo Nation. Now, let me tell you, to get a voter's registration from a lot of elders, they would tell you, okay, I'm going to fill that out if you take a cat. I'm going to fill that out if you take a dog. What did I do? I gained 17 cats and I think nine dogs. But I wanted to get that voter's registration. I wanted to prove to people that they could actually make a difference. And the 2018 election did bring different outcomes for San Juan County. It was the first since court-mandated redistricting, and it changed the makeup of the San Juan County Commission, from majority Republican to Democrat. That proved to a lot of the residents that their participation can also make a change. After that major political shift, the Rural Utah Project faced criticism over their voter registration work, which they do through a 501c3 IRS status. They also have a 501c4, which allows them to separately endorse political candidates. T.J. Ellerbeck, director of the Rural Utah Project. Yeah, the Rural Utah Project has both a 501c3 and a 501c4 nonprofit. What that means is work that happens under our C4 uh, has to follow those IRS guidelines, but that can include some work uh, of directly supporting or endorsing candidates. And we do some of that in Grand County and other places. Most of the work the Rural Utah Project does happens under our C3, where all of our work, like tonight's event, are 100% nonpartisan. It's an important distinction, but it doesn't protect them from criticism. Even their main mission to register historically disenfranchised voters is causing heartburn in local communities. In a October social media post, Grand County's Republican Party wrote that the Rural Utah Project is helping register, quote, van lifers and seasonal workers because they are desperate to maintain full control in Grand County. The implication is that some local candidates are in the pocket of groups like the Rural Utah Project. But now, campaign financial disclosures are telling another story. These disclosures were recently released by the Grand County Clerk's Office, and they show that candidates running in Grand are largely supported by personal donations in amounts ranging anywhere from $25 to $101,000. A few private businesses have supported local candidates, and there are contributions from partisan groups. Grand County's Republican Party contributed a total of $2,700 to Lori McFarland's District 4 campaign and $3,700 to Mike McCurdy's District 5 campaign. 
the Women's Democratic Club, listed at a residential address in Harriman, made a $200 donation to Mary McGann's District 4 campaign. So far, absent from local campaign contributions are organizations bearing the brunt of recent allegations over exerting their outsider influence. It's possible there will be more to say on this issue in the coming months. After receiving multiple complaints, the Legislative Auditor General opened a government compliance review of Grand and San Juan counties. House Speaker Brad Wilson told the Times Independent taxpayers, quote, deserve to know if their elected officials are working for them or for special interests. That review is expected to take months, according to the TI. Back at the bar slash restaurant, Drayshawn Gray Eyes was one of the voters just registered by the Rural Utah Project. He says he's signing up to vote. Oh, uh, just to, you know, do my piece pretty much. A lot of people don't vote and, you know, just thought I'd just do my part. Vote for the right person, whomever that may be. He plans to show up in person to vote on Election Day. That's Tuesday, November 8th. This excites Red Horse, who enjoys connecting people to their civic duty. Just to see how people are excited about the elections, how people, like, you can hear it in some of the conversation, and you sit there like, you know, I got people moving. (laughs) In Grand County, over 3,000 active registered voters have returned their ballot to the clerk's office. That's as of the end of day Friday. That means currently over 50% of active registered voters have cast a vote. Folks can register and vote now through Election Day by provisional ballot at the Grand County Clerk's Office. You can find that information in the show notes. Polls are open on Election Day, November 8th, from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. The last operating uranium mill in the U.S. is in White Mesa. It has been the target of ongoing protests and criticism from environmental activist groups and the Ute Mountain Ute Tribe. With KSUT and KSJD, Clark Adamitis has the details. The Energy Fuels Uranium Mill has been protested since it opened in 1979. The mill is located just five miles north of the White Mesa community. Initially designed to process uranium ore, it now receives radioactive waste from around the world, an estimated 700 million pounds. The tribe is concerned about the mill's proximity, but Curtis Moore, vice president of marketing at Energy Fuels, says protesters have the details all wrong. We support the free speech and the right to protest uh, of the White Mesa community, but we also encourage that those people protesting, you know, learn more about what we do and learn more about all the safety measures that are in place and the fact that there's no evidence that there's any, any problems out there. But local activists cite numerous problems. One is uranium disposal pond 4B. That way cell is partially uncovered and in violation of the Clean Air Act, according to the EPA. The mill is working on recovering it, but it will only be covered by March 2023. Protesters say it's a concern for radon emissions, but Moore says the EPA had originally allowed them to expose it. Chalk that up to a, a huge misunderstanding between us and the EPA. The EPA in 2019, they gave us permission to draw that cell down and dry it out. We proved to the EPA back in 2016, 17, 18, 19 that those crystals emit hardly any radon. Last week, the mill's critics voiced their issues with the mill at White Mesa's fourth annual peace walk and protest. Talia Boyd from the Navajo Nation is concerned about how the mill could affect her groundwater. 
This facility sits right on top of the Navajo Aquifer, which provides groundwater to not only the Ute Mountain Ute, but also Navajo, Hopi, and surrounding non-tribal communities. If this aquifer should be compromised, that impacts all of us adversely. Energy Fuel says that the mill is not affecting the groundwater, and if it did, that would be a violation against the state of Utah that regulates the mill. There's a shallow aquifer that occurs all over San Juan County that's not for drinking water. You know, people water their cattle with it. It's naturally cloudy and it smells like sulfur. It's pretty bad water. The water is not cloudy and smelling like sulfur because of us. Michael Badback grew up in White Mesa. He remembers wild rabbits in thick sage bushes before the mill opened in the 1970s. He took me on a back roads tour of the mill. The sagebrush, half of them are dead, and there used to be rabbits out here. If you drive like this, a rabbit will run in front of you. Energy Fuels blames the loss of wildlife on the desert and drought conditions that southeast Utah faces. There is a, a severe drought in the region. That would affect vegetation, and that might affect wildlife as well. That's probably a much more viable explanation than something from the mill. Activists will continue to protest operations at the mill. The next time they might take action is in January 2023, when the mill's groundwater discharge permit is up for renewal. The public can comment on how the mill may be affecting their groundwater. Here's Aaron Paul, an attorney at the Grand Canyon Trust. That's intended to apply requirements to protect groundwater, and it's an opportunity for folks to weigh in, both to express general opposition to the pollution that's already occurred at the mill, but also to make suggestions about what to do about it. In the meantime, activists are continuing the decades-long fight to push for the mill to be permanently closed. I'm Clark Adamitis. That story from KSUT and KSJD was shared with us via Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, New Mexico, and Utah, including KZMU. And now a preview of the Moab City Council meeting this Tuesday. A workshop on flood mitigation alternatives will kick things off early at 5 p.m. The council will later check in on strategic planning efforts around housing, city capabilities, sustainability, infrastructure, and community investment. Next, the council will vote on approving a bid for the $100,000 Parks Master Plan. That plan will create an inventory of existing parks and identify any unmet and future needs. And we apologize. We missed last week's preview. Must have been the Halloween energy. In any case, Moab City Council meetings are held on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month and streamed online on Moab City's YouTube page. And that's the KZMU News for Monday, November 7th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.